Fire burns, it hurts, it can destroy. Fire also gives warmth and light. The coming of Christ is both a day of judgment and a day of promise. Two candles flickering brightly help us remember that the coming of Christ has many meanings. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Psalm 85, 10 through 11. Light two candles, see them glow brightly, so that all may know how two candles show the way, making our dark, darkness bright as day. <laughs> Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. Let's pray. Dear God, we have much to do, 
and we are not sure we will be ready for the day of your coming. In Advent's light, help us see what is important, to be who you want us to be, and to do what you would have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sent the one, the one that we would call our Savior, and redemption began in a stable.
bleak midwinter, all creation groans for a world in darkness, frozen like a stone. Night is breaking in a stable for a throne, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. and mercy to us. Thank you that you have sent Christ and changed everything. And we've come today to worship you and to thank you and open our hearts to you. We're so grateful that you have promised to be with us today. 
We pray that our worship would truly bring glory to you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. We have the opportunity to give back to God from the many ways in which he's blessed us. And so we'll ask the ushers to come now and assist us as we give our tithes and offerings.
you take a few moments to pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we are here today because Jesus has come. Because Christ comes, we have hope, we have joy, peace. We know you in ways that we could never have known without the coming of Jesus. And so we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us in Christ and asking for your continued grace to help us see and understand and follow. Lord, as we come today, we come with a wide variety of needs and burdens and concerns. We think of all who are grieving today, especially in this holiday season. The loss seems more acute. We pray for your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain. We ask, Father, for your grace upon Calvin and Laurel Buecher and Warren Woolsey, upon Bill Getty and Phil Muecher, Evelyn Heil and Mike Raybuck, upon Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman and Bev Rett, and upon Micah Christensen and Linda Roth and Dick Gould, upon Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for others who may be on our minds and in our hearts today, we pray for your grace upon them. Father, we pray for the ministries of this church. We thank you especially for the ministry to our children and for the King's Kids Clubs, the girls and the boys that meet on Wednesday nights. We thank you for that ministry. We thank you for every person who is involved in helping, teaching, leading, assisting. We pray for every one of these boys and girls who are so precious to you. We pray that you will bless this ministry. We pray that you will pour out your spirit upon it. That we will see you at work in the lives of these children and all who work with them. And Father, we pray for the ministries of other churches. And today we think of the St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church in Fillmore. We pray your grace upon them. For Father Dennis and others who help lead the church. We pray for your mercy in their lives. Bless their ministry, their outreach, the work that they do for your kingdom. We ask for your grace upon them. Father, we pray for our, for our world. We pray for all who are grieving from another attack this week. Lord, we, our hearts are grieved about this. We feel isolated here in our little community, this little area of the world. And so many people live with fear and threats and anxiety. We pray, Father, that you will bring an end 
to the threats, to an end to the violence, an end to the terrorism, and that you will bring peace and healing that can only come through your Holy Spirit's work. We pray for your continued grace in our world as we think about the, the outreach of your church around the world. Thank you for what you've done through the Jesus film. It has been amazing to see the millions and millions and millions of people whose lives have been changed because of this film. Continue, Lord, to bring good out of it as it expands into new churches and new outreach. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Bangladesh today, facing opposition and threats. We ask that you would give them courage and strength and the power of your spirit to love in the midst of hate, to be a witness that might even change the hearts of those who oppose them and persecute them. Father, let your coming into this world be life-changing for us. Help us, Father, to see you in Christ at work in our lives and in the lives of others and in this world at large. And we pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we pray together the prayer he taught his disciples to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed to Children's Church and Junior Church. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or... Where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you seek will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. 
but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing with us. Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out what a scripture passage is about, I envision myself sitting in a living room with someone, and I'm trying to imagine in the course of a conversation about God and life, what kind of question would someone ask that might cause me to turn to this passage of scripture to answer their question? And I was thinking about that this week as I was reading through the book of Malachi. 
and specifically this particular passage that we just read. And the thought that came to my mind is, this is the kind of passage that might be a place I would turn to if someone said to me, does God care about justice? Does God care about injustice? Does God care about the problems in the world? Does God care about all the things that are happening in the world? Does it matter to him? And I think in the course of that conversation, being asked that question, one of the places I would turn to answer it would be this passage in Malachi 2 and 3. The whole book of Malachi is really, is really set in the context of God making a statement and Israel answering that with a question. So you have at the beginning, God says, I, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Israel's response is, how have you loved us? We don't really feel your love because we're, we're not the nation we used to be. We've had all kinds of problems. And quite frankly, God, we think that's your fault. And God says, I have loved you by choosing you. I've loved you by doing all of these miraculous things for you throughout your history. And you've forgotten it. So then God says, um, even though you say to me that I'm your father... You have contempt for my name. And Israel asks, how have we got contempt for your name? We're bringing all the sacrifices you want us to bring. And God says, yeah, you're bringing sacrifices, but you're bringing animals that you don't want anyway. You're bringing animals that are lame and diseased and blind. And he says, try offering these animals as a gift to the governor and see how he feels about it. And yet you have no qualms about bringing them to me and saying, yeah, it's good enough. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. And you move on a little further into chapter 2. And God says, even if you bring the right sacrifices, I'm not going to accept them. And Israel says, why doesn't God accept our sacrifices? And he says, it's because of the, of the way that, that you... You can think about and live out the marriage covenant that I've established for you. you know, I've told you, you should just marry people who worship me. And what are you doing? You're going off and you're marrying people who worship all kinds of other gods. And the implication is, all the gods are the same. What difference does it make? And when you do marry the right people, you treat them contemptuously. You're unfaithful to each other. You, you men divorce your wives at the drop of a hat and you leave them helpless. And then you wonder why I won't accept your sacrifices. And then you get to, into, into uh, later in chapter 3, verse 6, and, and God says, um, he says, I, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And Israel's question is, how can we return to you? We've never left you. These questions have to be maddening to God. I mean, they're maddening to us to read. And he says, by cheating me. And they say, how have we cheated you? By not bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And their response is, well, we would do that if it seemed like we got anything for our investment. It doesn't seem like we're getting any return on our investment. We're not getting any richer. And I look around the world and everybody else who doesn't worship you, who doesn't care about you, they look like they're doing okay. So maybe we'll just do that. 
And then you come to this passage that we looked at today. And God's statement to them is, you are wearying me with your words. You ever been around someone in conversation with someone, you're like, you're making me tired. And he says, you're wearying me with your words. And their question is, how are we wearying you with our words? We're bringing sacrifices. We're we're doing what you want us to do. And God says, you weary me with with your words by the way you treat the most vulnerable people among you. You say, we follow God, and then you live in a way that is completely contrary to what it means to follow me. And you act as if God doesn't care a thing about justice. God doesn't care a thing about people in need. God doesn't care a thing about the people who are most vulnerable among you. That, I don't, that they don't matter to me. And that's the message you're sending. And the truth of the matter is, those people mean a great deal to me. I care deeply for them. Over and over and over again, God has said to Israel, take care of widows and orphans and aliens and strangers among you and people who are most vulnerable in your society because I care about them. And Israel has reached a place in their relationship with God where they're saying, God doesn't care about those people We don't care about those people. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. Let's just do what we want to do about ourselves and we don't worry about those folks. And God's response to them is, I am sending messengers. Actually, two are mentioned here. I'm sending messengers who are going to set things right. The first messenger is going to come and tell you the second messenger is coming. And the second messenger that's called the messenger of the covenant is coming. And his task, his reason for coming is to refine and to purify. And it's going to be painful. And we don't often think of the coming of Jesus as being painful. But Malachi says, God says through the prophet, it's going to hurt. Because refining and purifying hurts. Imagine if metal could feel, and in the refining process of that, it could feel the heat that's needed to separate the dross from the pure metal. Think about if cloth could feel when the soap is rubbed and scrubbed on it to get out the stains, how much that would hurt. And God says, I'm going to need to do that stuff with you, and it's going to be painful. But the point of it is to be pure. The point of it is to be refined. The point of it is to be better than you are. And that's why Jesus comes. And to be refined and to be pure means to have one heart. One heart focused on God. One mind focused on the mind of God. And living, doing, acting like God. And a big part of that. In the con- especially in the context of this passage, as Malachi describes it, is how do you treat people that everyone else pushes to the margins of society? How do you treat people who are most vulnerable in this world? What's your attitude toward them? What do your actions say about your heart toward them? 
And it's not as if we are saying, as God is saying, if you treat the most vulnerable right, then that means you're right with me. Because sometimes you can do behavior and not be right with God. But he is saying, if you are one of my people, if you're one of my followers, then you will treat people most vulnerable like I do. And if you don't treat the most vulnerable, if you don't care for them, if you don't have compassion for them, if you aren't acting in their interest, then something is wrong with your relationship with me. And it needs to be purified. It needs to be refined. Something needs to change. And it comes from the heart. Tim Keller talks about how we live our lives based on the priority of our loves, the order of our loves. And he said those go from what we love the most to what we love more to what we love less to what we love the least. And you think about the things in your life that fit into those categories, what you love the most, what you love more than other things, what you love less than other things, and what you love the least. And it says something about what's important to us. It says something about how we live our lives. And and those loves will eventually get worked out in how we treat people and how we think about people. And the refinement and the purification that Jesus comes to give us. Here's the part that scares me about this prophecy. Is that when we think of refining and change and the transformation of society and all the injustice of society, our typical response is to point the finger at other people. You know, it's, it's those terrorists that are ruining society. It's, it's those immoral people that are ruining society. It's, it's those people, that person, that group. I mean, we, it's just human nature to do that. And you would think that God would say, I'm going to send my messenger and he's going to clean up the world. But he doesn't. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, I'm sending my messenger of the covenant and he is coming to the temple. He is coming to the very essence of worship as my people. He's coming to us. And in some ways, you could almost interpret what he's saying here as this. The injustice that people see in the world, in one way or another, comes back to the people of God. And how we respond to what goes on in the world. And if people wonder if God cares about justice, maybe that's because they wonder if God's people care about justice. I mean, God's created this crazy plan and it's it's full of risks that God from the beginning has said I'm going to choose people my people the ones who follow me you're going to represent me in this world and what people know about me is going to be in great measure a direct reflection of what they see in you now knowing human nature that's one of the craziest things God could ever do and yet he says to Abraham way back in Genesis I'm going to bless you And through you, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. And he calls out Israel to be his people. Not just so they can be special and everybody else isn't. But so that people will see what it looks like to follow God. And will want to follow God themselves. They want to see what God is like by looking at God's people. 
And there's a part of me that wants to say to everyone in the world who's not a follower of Jesus, please forgive us. Because we have so often misrepresented God. I've misrepresented God. We've misrepresented God. We have twisted who God is because we have been self-centered and apathetic and disconnected. We've not really communicated who God is and the heart and the nature and the character of God. Forgive us. Someone was telling me recently about a friend who has a a motto that, in essence, says something like, um, "If to the, to everyone in the world who has looked at us and has has seen us fall short and seen us not live the way we should, put that on us, not on Jesus. Because while we may not forgive you, Jesus always does. And while we may not treat you the way you should be treated, Jesus always does. And and I get that. I hear what." What that's saying, and I think there's truth in it. The problem is, sometimes that can be a cop-out for us. You know, it's the, well, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And I get that, and that's true, and we're not perfect. But sometimes we use that as a reason, or maybe as an excuse to say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. But it does. It's significant. And if God's people, if our hearts would be refined and purified through the coming of Jesus as he desires, it would change the image that people have of God because they would see more of God in us. Just think for a minute about how different our world and our nation would look if in the 17th and 18th centuries the church said, we will not let slavery continue. And imagine if in the 20th century the church said, we will not let racism continue. And instead of having arguments about it, instead of making conciliatory statements about it, we, the church would have said, absolutely not, no, never. Think how different things would be. God says that when my people are purified and refined, and he isn't talking about perfection. He's not saying that, you know, when we're refined, we never make mistakes, we never fall short, because we're still dealing with human beings, but our hearts want what God wants. And God is working in us and changing us, and he says when that happens... He said, then I'll, I'll accept your sacrifices. I'll be glad to accept your sacrifices. As he said before, I hate these sacrifices. I'm sick and tired of these sacrifices. Stop bringing them. And the reason for that is because they're bringing them without their hearts. They're just, they're just bringing animals and fulfilling the, the, the letter of the law, but not really engaging themselves with God. But when they engage themselves with God and when, when he has purified them and refined us, then our sacrifices mean something. And God takes those. And he changes not only us, but he changes the world. The world does indeed, is indeed blessed because of what happens in us. Because people see Christ in us. 
And it's both a scary proposition and one of the most exciting things in the world to think that if God, if God changes our hearts, if God works in us through the coming of Christ, that actually the world could look different. It's amazing. What Jeremiah says to, to the people who are in exile in Babylon, he says, you know, God says, stay where you are and work for the welfare of the city. Stay there and do every good you can for the people of that place. Be a presence for good. Be the good news that Jesus says he comes to bring. And that's our calling. I, I think that's why when you, when you think about the coming of Jesus, and despite the fact that this is a harsh word, and, and quite frankly, it's a painful process for Christ to weed out the stuff in us and to burn off the dross in us, it's painful, and we run from it more often than not. But as, as painful and difficult as this feels, it is actually grace. I, mean, I sort of think of this, this word of Malachi as warning grace. John Wesley used to talk about convicting grace. And to me, that almost seems like an oxymoron because conviction rarely feels like grace when you're in the middle of it. It just feels bad. But, but it is grace because it's moving us closer to God. It's opening our hearts. It's helping us to see. And the same thing is happening here. It's warning grace. And he's saying, a messenger is coming. Be ready. He's warning us, preparing us, giving us that opportunity to say, yes, I want what Christ comes to bring. I want to be different. I want to be purified. I want to be refined. I want to have God's heart. Because I want to experience the fullness of who God is in my life, and I want to be a channel of that for other people's lives. And it doesn't mean that this grace doesn't mean that God isn't going to hold us accountable, hold people accountable. When you get to verse 5, it's very clear. There are people who will simply say to God, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to keep walking this line of, of doing the religious things, but really living how I want. Or some people are saying, I don't really care at all about God. I'm going to do what I want. And judgment day is coming for them. But even in that, in that, in the, in the, in the warning of judgment is grace. To say it doesn't have to be that way. You can know the joy of Christ. You can know the fulfillment of Christ changing our hearts. And to be a presence for the good news in this world. When I was reading through this, it, it struck me as... I was thinking about the, the Christmas movies that we like to watch. You know, you guys, I don't know if you have a family, you have family things, maybe certain television shows or Christmas movies that kind of become part of your family tradition. If you have little children, maybe it's, or, maybe, or if you don't have little children, maybe it's your favorite too. Things like Rudolph and, you know, Frosty the Snowman and the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas and those kinds of things. Maybe, maybe it's a Christmas story, uh, that movie. For us, one of the things that, one of the movies that we watch every year as a family is A Christmas Carol. It's a 1951 version that's black and white and it stars Alistair Sim. And I always tell people that it's the best version. It's, it's, it's the best one to watch. 
And uh, part of the reason we have this family tradition is because when I was a child, we used to watch it as a family. It was, of course, back in those ancient, you know, days where you only had four channels to watch. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS. And PBS was pretty much educational programming. It really wasn't a whole lot, you know, you were saying, ooh, I can't wait to watch that. But, but so, and things only showed once a year. You know, you got, you got one shot at it. And this movie tended to be the late night movie sometime during the week, usually leading up to Christmas. And it, we lived in, in Indiana, it was central time, so after the 10 o'clock news at 10.30, this movie would start. And usually it was my mom and my older sister and me who stayed up to watch it. And invariably, the two of them fell asleep. But I always watched it to the end. I loved that movie. And as our children got older, we, kept, we started watching it and became a part of our tradition. And there are all kinds of great scenes in that movie. But I was reading this passage. I was thinking about the scene near the end where Scrooge is, is traveling around the world with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. This, and, and in that movie, the, that ghost has, is faceless, wearing a robe, silent, just pointing places. It's a haunting figure. And they get to the point where they arrive at a graveyard. And Scrooge has seen all of these scenes of, of someone who has died and, and all, of the, all of the people who could, could have cared less. And they get to the graveyard and he says, before I look at that stone, Answer me one question. Are these shadows of things that will be or shadows of things that might be? And the spirit doesn't say anything. He just points at the stone. And Scrooge walks closer to it and sees that his name is on it. And he falls down on it and he's crying and weeping. And he gets up and he grabs the On his knees, he grabs the ghost by his robe and he says, I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the man I was. And surely you wouldn't have put me through all of this if I was beyond hope. And that's the warning of grace that Christ comes to give. Wherever we are, in our walk with God, wherever we may be in, in how we think about God, whatever kinds of decisions we've made, there is always grace. And Jesus comes to make us new, to set us free, to give us the heart of God. You know, this passage doesn't really answer the, the age-old question of why do bad things happen. That's somewhere else. But this passage is a call for God's people to think, to ponder, to desire, to have a heart like Jesus, to be catalysts for justice in this world of injustice. To be catalysts for good in this world of evil. To be agents of change in a world that desperately needs 
the changing grace of Jesus. It starts with God working in our hearts, refining us, purifying us, making us new with the coming of Christ. Father, we want to thank you for your grace. In this moment of silence, as we think about our response with pain and injustice and struggles and difficulties of this world, give us new hearts, purified, refined hearts look like Jesus. Father, thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ, not just for the life to come, but right now. Give us grace to experience and to be agents of your hope, your justice, and your grace and mercy. We pray this through Christ. stand as we sing together. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saints, let every nation shout of your faith. Jesus is coming soon.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.